goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to one more episode of the Data Transformers podcast here. And Peggy and I are excited to welcome today's guest, Kayur Desai, who was the former Chief Data Officer of TD Ameritrade with extensive background and experience in data management, data governance, data privacy, anything about data that you can talk about, both from a business aspects as well as data. Kayur, welcome. Ah, thank you very much, uh, Ramesh and Peggy. Nice to be okay. here. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's uh, start straight off with the most recent experience, Kayur, uh, where you have built, or, or, or maybe uh, already was built, but a CDO organization with a lot of focus on data monetization, uh, data literacy, things that are gaining in importance nowadays. So talk a little bit about your experience there, please. Yeah, so, you know, um... Right now, as you can imagine, most organizations um, are very technically focused, if you will, on delivering technology solutions um, into the business. And um, you know what, what I'm finding out there as a norm is that people are now beginning to wake up to the importance of actually connecting the technology solution to the business outcome, right? And so we've been at this for, for 30 plus years and typically, you know, uh, we in, in data analytics team have celebrated when we've got go lives. And we start scratching our heads and start wondering, hey, uh, a year or two later, how come nobody's using our technology that we worked so hard to create? Well, the reality is that we thought this thing was cool, but the people for whom we created this, um, you know, didn't really have too much input or not all of the people had input. And what we created didn't really hit the nail on the head, right? And so it's, it's a lot of our data initiatives have been technology driven initiatives. Mm. We need to flip that. And where I began to see success, it began meaning, you know, this idea kind of hit me in 2005 um, when I was there, you know, burning the midnight oil, missing birthdays, missing anniversaries, <laughs> and then finding out a year later that, what do you mean nobody's using this? Um, like, why did I miss the birthday anniversary? Um, it kind of hit me in 2005 that we got to do something different. I mean, if we truly believe that data analytics can help companies achieve uh, outsized business outcomes, we need to go identify the business people um, for whom we can create these outcomes and then work with them to ensure that we align the business outcome with the data and analytics initiative and we keep that alive. And so that's where I actually... Uh, it dawned on me that we really, you know, need to spend a lot more effort with what we today call our data and analytics strategy than we actually do on creating systems. So this was a thought that occurred to me back in 2005. Unfortunately, since then, I've had the, uh, you know, good fortune of uh, getting support from my management to further this idea. And now we actually have a name for this thing called data analytics strategy. But back then, we're like, oh, we just need to connect these the business side with the technical side. Um, and we've got, you know, um, I personally have, have realized that 
that connection between business strategy and data analytics strategy is not an annual thing. It is an all the time thing. It is something where um, since business strategy is changing so often, so too must data analytics strategy be ready to change often. And what that means now is that there needs to be a continual process, right? A regular process whereby the business strategy and data analytics strategy are examined and realigned. And that's where what's really worked for me is more of an agile process. Um, you know, so introducing agile to this type of an environment, you know, our technical agile process with sprints and so forth to where we begin to align business outcomes um, and, 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 and co-ideating with the business on, the, on, on what types of data analytics capabilities can be brought to bear to create outsized business outcomes. Right, and that, that has begun to become an all the time thing. And we've actually started you know, seeing a lot of success in creating an organization that does nothing but that all day long. And once we've done that, the connection between the business side, the business strategy and the data analytics strategy remains strong and it remains aligned all the time. That, that's really uh, fascinating, Kior. Um, can you talk a little bit specifically uh, for how type of business uh, problems that you saw as really applicable um, to applying analytics? Yeah, so, um, right, and as you know, there's so many different things that can be done with data. You can improve processes, you can improve your competitor position, you can create data products, um, you know, you can uh, uh, reduce risk and so forth. But you know, it was all just about reporting, and so so really the the, the hill we had to climb was to get people to become aware, people on the business side to become more aware of the fact that there is more to data and analytics than just reporting. And the best way for us to do that is to improve executive level and business line level um, data fluency uh, on you know what's possible. And more importantly, why is it important that we actually explore these things? Because as McKinsey will tell you, um, if you can make the organization more data fluent, you can improve your EBIT by north of 20% hmm. uh, on an annualized basis over a three-year period. You can improve your revenue north of 20% um, over a three-year period if you can advance um, your data analytics capabilities. So that's really the first step in all of this, right? Is, and I, I don't know that that's different to most of the corporations out there. Um, they're, 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 you know, a lot of the business line executives feel that data analytics is all about reporting and analytics and they need, to, they, they need to become aware of all these other things that are possible. But once they've become aware that it's possible, um, we then need to jointly ideate on how to bring data and analytics into their business strategy. And, you know, over the last 30 years, how, how is it that we data analytics people have communicated with the lines of business? Well, what we've said is, give me your requirements. Yeah. And that presumes that the business line uh, uh, folks actually understand what is possible with data and analytics. Yeah. And, the, you know, uh, if we asked that question 20 years ago, yeah, I mean, all that was really possible was reporting in, uh, you know, reporting in analytics. Uh, none of these other pieces were possible. So the answer you're going to get back is sort of a 20 to 30 year old view of what's possible with data analytics. So there's no wonder that 
you know, uh, most of the uh, folks in business actually think of data analytics as reporting and analytics, right? Um, and so, you know, what this involves is um, us co-ideating with the business where uh, we bring together the very person who is responsible for that outcome, right? The person who's responsible for increasing revenue 5% and making sure that that person is um, aware of what's possible with data analytics. They don't need to know the specific solutions, but they at least have an interest and know that data analytics can help them in these areas. But if you put that person in the room with mm. the, the data expert who understands where all the data is, what the latency, what the frequency, what the quality and all that stuff is around the company, because for some of these use cases that they want, you might have customer data, but if it's not the right latency, it's pretty useless, right? If it's not the right level of quality, it's pretty useless. So put them in the room with that person, put them in the room with the person who um, has the analytics experience, right? And again, this analytic, the person with analytics experience knows what analytics is, uh, you know, what analytical capabilities are possible at that company, but they should also be aware of what analytical capabilities are possible in the industry that they can then bring into the company to meet that use case. You put those three people in a room together, mm -hmm are bound to come out with some amazing ideas, right? And re in reality, what ends up happening, right? I saw this personally, is that what ends up happening is you, you, you end up um, uh, coming out with lots of different ideas, not to just solve that particular business outcome, but now imagine all the business outcomes across all the lines of businesses people are trying to achieve. You've got so many outcomes that, that you're trying to uh, build data analytics solution for. The next problem you have to tackle is how do I prioritize all this? In the past, the way people prioritized it was based upon who screams the loudest. <laughs> That's yes. not really the right way. And then the reality is that the more you deliver these initiatives, the more funding you need. And people ask the question, well, okay, what kind of value did these initiatives generate for you? And if we can't really peg the value generated, then our ability to then command more funding for a lot of these initiatives begins to diminish. Yeah, And so the tact I've started to take with a lot of this, and we saw a lot of uh, value in this, is um, I started onboard a new role called a data economist. I'm sorry, what is it? Uh, okay, say it again. What is it? A data economist. Oh. And the job of a data economist is to begin to understand, um, or, or rather initially create a mathematical twin of the idea we've come up with. Hmm. Saying, okay, data, this latency and frequency is coming in. This is the level of quality it's at. We're expecting there to be a recommendation engine on top. Yeah. Imagine Peggy gets these six recommendations. On average, she will click on this many. This will result in her seeing this, uh, this particular offer. Um, math says, based upon A-B testing, that you know, chances are three out of one time, you know, or one out of three times, she will actually click through and go uh, 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 examine uh, the landing page. And then you know, we've got a 5% conversion rate thereafter. right? So with that type of a process, they can then begin to model out, well, will we actually see the 5% revenue uplift with this type of a system, right? And they can even model in the impact of data quality to revenue outcome. They can even model in impact of latency to revenue outcome. Like if my offer is a six days late because my uh, feeds are coming in uh, you know, every six days instead of real time, what's the impact of my revenue? So they should be able to model these things out. But the key part is when they model these things out, they're able to establish 
uh, the relative value of each of these projects to earnings per share at the company. Hmm. And so that normalizes everything. And now if you can rank stack everything based upon earnings per share, you now have a roadmap by which to discuss with the executives that says, look, here's how we recommend prioritizing these initiatives from a business impact perspective. So that way it's not scream the loudest, but we've changed a few around because if we did it in earnings per share priority order, we'd have to rip out some technologies in order to rebuild in a different way. But you know, you want to balance um, the build out of technology, truly building on, on, you know, on each other with earnings per share. And that's your real roadmap. But a good starting point is now, at least I know the rank stack order um, in which you, know, you could gain monetary value for the company. So that's wow. been sort of a game changer. Um, you know, having that new role. Um, it's something that I personally um, started to lobby for back in 2005. And uh, we finally started to make some inroads and I saw tremendous success. And it's actually allowed us to say, okay, here is the value this role has generated. And that, that you know, when we go to ask for more funding, all of a sudden it becomes a no brainer because yeah. we're very clear on the impact we've had. And that's been a huge challenge for data analytics initiatives in the past. So when I mean, you have so a clear metrics there, yeah, right? You're talking about the clear metrics and dashboard that you could show that you can get the budget. Exactly, clear, clear, yeah, a dashboard uh, that clearly shows the value established, the, the projected value, as well as value um, in hindsight when we come back and say, okay, how did we do? Right, so the job of a data economist is twofold. Be in these meetings to help establish the mathematical, you know, mathematical probabilities. I mean, do you, do you think it's even likely that this whiteboard idea is going to generate a 5% increase in revenue, right? Leave that to the data, data economist. But then turning that around and saying, hey, did we actually achieve these goals? So it's, it's a dashboard that does both. I think you, you really hit it on the head because I hear a lot in the past amongst um, people either supporting or not supporting a data governance program is what's the ROI of a data governance program. And it's always been hard to measure. And I think it sounds like you've really been able to, um, to, to measure that really effectively. Um, my question though for you is um, TD Ameritrade, you're in banking, it's a regulated industry. There's a lot of um, regulatory and compliance issues. So a lot of, a lot of it is also risk reduction, risk management, as well as a lot of the profit generating um, use cases. So I'm wondering how you have measured like risk or is that in your calculations for EPS? Um, absolutely. So one of, the, one of the pleasures or you could call it Im, uh, you know, um, immoralities if you will, is I had to go on a quarterly basis uh, in front of the board and um, uh, explain our data risk profile. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, this was part of the presentations with the data risk committee. And you know, our board was very interested in data and, and the impact it had on all types of risks, credit risk, market risk, operational risks, and so forth. And so it's very difficult to go to the board and explain theory around risk to them. Right. And so we actually, this is a cool innovation. We actually had to develop a risk indicator or a risk um, index, if you will, where now based upon, let's say, a 10K, 10Q, right, based mm -hmm. upon uh, uh, the quality of information in 10K, 10Q, um, how much risk, how much reputational risk does that create for us? How mm -hmm. much financial risk does that bad number create for us? Yeah. And so 
based on that, we're actually able to now quantify how quality of information impacts either a report or an application and so forth. And in turn, how that application and the bad quality of information in it impacts credit risk, market risk, operational risk, financial risk, and all these other risk profiles, right? And so rather than in a qualitative way, having to explain this, mm-hmm. we actually invented a risk index that quantified it, that on day one was, you know, uh, at let's say level five, which is five out of five. But then the question is, what are we doing to reduce it? And so the board wants to see that index drop. So if we've dropped from five to four, visually, it's a great thing. Right, and, they, and now we can quantify how much of a drop it's gone through because it's dropped from five to four, right? Good 20% drop right there. And so they know that the work we've done quarter to quarter is actually uh, um, re, you know, resulting in an actual meaningful drop in risk for the company based on that index. <laughs> so that was a cool invention that was created by the team. That's cool. I think you should have, pat- if you haven't already, you should have patented that this connects. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if you know any good lawyers, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Kayura, you actually went through the, the role of a CDO in a very you know, progressive sense, in a sense. Many companies wish that, you know, that it could be done that way, right? So you, you've gone, but, but you talked about uh, you know, practice having done that, right? But when you really joined on day one from a CDO, was the CDO role very well established um, in that company, or did you have to, you know, expand or influence organization to define the role? Because there's a debate about the role of an, uh, you know, CDO is, you know, it's, it's not clearly defined, right? So people will define it depending on their own personal influence, or also could be positional influence depending on where their organization. So what has been your experience? Like, did you have to establish yourself? to be able to impact the organization in such a you know, business-centric view? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think even to this day, people struggle with what does a chief data officer do? Correct. Right, and I think even the chief data officer's boss struggles with what does a chief data officer do, right? So I think the challenge with the CDO role is not so much gaining um, alignment with just your management of what that job is, mm-hmm. The challenge is ensuring that everybody in the company understands what the job of a CDO is. Otherwise, you are quickly going to become inundated with everything the company needs. And now you're talking about decades worth of pent-up demand on all types of things and all kinds of ideas that have occurred. And it's just a big, huge uh, snowball coming your way at that point. So... That I don't know that that's a unique challenge amongst CDOs. Um, that that's something that everyone struggles with to this day. Is what, what's the typical CDO mandate? And honestly, what I've what's starting to appear is that you've got CDOs that focus on data governance purely. Mm-hmm. You've got CDOs that focus on analytics purely. And then you've got every type of CDO in between. You've got now data science type CDOs appearing. You've got um, AI type of CDOs appearing, and then you've got CDOs that whole, own the whole gamut, right? And so, you know, we, I, I don't know what the right answer is here yeah. um, with regards to 
what a CDO ought to do, except for one thing, which is figure out a way to create value for the organization. And the best way to create value is to first understand the business drivers and then translate in a collaborative way those business drivers into whatever domain you've been hired to take care of. I think that's um, great advice, Kior. And I think it's actually interesting to talk about your progression to TD Ameritrade. And I think anyone that looks at your LinkedIn profile, your history, um, you certainly come from a, a different industry or um, you know, more on the vendor side. So MicroStrategy, Cognos, Informatica, I think people um, would love to hear a little bit about what you did in those roles and perhaps how that shaped you um, to being a chief data officer today. Yeah, that's, that's a very, very good question. I gave it a lot of thought um, before kind of making a transition out of a software company. I mean, I, I got my start at a software company, right? I, at a company that's still near and dear to my heart, MicroStrategy, small, you know, six-person company when I joined it. We were a consulting firm. Wow. Um, we went bankrupt and then uh, we rose again uh, mm -hmm. the very next day as a product company. And now look at it, right? Went public, 3,000 people, was sort of the darling of the dot-com days, had mm -hmm. difficulties thereafter, and it's still there. Right, mm -hmm. where all its competitors have gotten acquired, it's still there holding its own. So I'm very proud of having started there because we started in a time when um, there was no such thing as data analytics. Um, we were trying to change this thing called executive information systems into becoming more democratized. Yeah. Right. Before you had to go to um, you know, a DBA and the DBA would end up creating a report for you and you'd have to wait in line. It'll take you months to get your report, if not weeks. And, um, you know, and it was okay because the pace of business was not that fast back then. But now what we realized is, and, and the whole premise around MicroStrategy was that, you know, we believe that data is, is, is going to be democratized, that everybody's gonna have data at their fingertips. And that we also believed, and this was in 1992, that data was going to become a currency. Mm -hmm. um, we also believed that data was going to allow you to open up new times, uh, new styles of businesses. And um, uh, you know that that was sort of my start into the game. And and um, we were naive enough in thinking that if you create this business intelligence system on top of the data, now you've democratized data. You're done. As we started building these systems, and I spent a lot of time not just building the software, but also being on site with customers, helping them implement, right? We started to realize that, wait a minute, there's this thing, you know, there's this quality problem with data. So we had to begin to solve a data quality problem, mm -hmm. which then gave rise to this whole idea of data governance a couple of years down the road, right? So initially we were solving all these problems piecemeal. Yeah. And, you know, um, I feel so fortunate to have witnessed this entire field of data analytics come from you know what was back when I started six software companies right Oracle, Sybase, Informix, we had Forte Software, MicroStrategy, and Business Objects. That was really it when it came to data analytics. And I remember people telling me, "Why are you doing this? Go do something a little bit more creative." That is right? good. And um, you know that was sort of where we started. And Fast forward, I mean, throughout, throughout um, my career, I've been fortunate in witnessing how data analytics has just mushroomed into something massive. 
And so everything we talked about in 1992, where data was going to become currency, data was going to become used to personalize healthcare, it's going to be used to personalize uh, coupons. Uh, you know, when you go to the grocery store, well, now the version that version of the coupon is an online recommendation. You know, um, all these things are happening. So it's really nice to see. But what has been sort of the big turning point for me is a, is a metric where um, back in 1992, if you take a look at the number of business users that were actually making data-driven decisions globally, mm -hmm. that number was closer to um, 10%. Yeah. Fast forward to about four years ago, five years ago, Okay, we're talking about 2015. Um, while I was still at Informatica, I saw some metrics and looking at how many business users globally make data-driven decisions. Well, the number of business users has increased, of course, uh, since 1992. But that number went from 10% to, take a wild guess. 80, 80. Okay, Ramesh? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's still 60%. 13. Oh. Wow. Wow. So you ask yourself, wait a minute. So we now in 1992 had like six pieces of software to do what we call data analytics. 10%. In 2015, we had tens of thousands of pieces of software. Wow. We had technical companies, market caps going through the roof, right? But yet the actual promise of this software with regards to gaining business value, right? In terms of business users actually making data-driven decisions, uh, businesses applying this into uh, fueling their data analytics strategy. It's just not happening. So is, it because, is it because they don't trust the data? Is it a literacy aspect of it, awareness, um, uh, training? What, what is it? Well, it's that business IT gap that we alluded to earlier, right? So, you know, the business has requirements and needs but they're not aware of the fact, you know, they're becoming increasingly aware of the fact now that you can use data analytics for more than just reporting analytics, right? You can use it to actually empower businesses and create new businesses, right? They're waking up to that idea now. But, um, you know, there's this gap where we, when, when we're building systems, like, oh yeah, this would be cool. That would be cool. That would be cool. And then next thing you know, you know, we spent a couple million dollars, my yeah. missed birthdays and anniversaries to build a system. And then we're like scratching heads saying, how come they didn't use it? Well, heck, we didn't really include all the people. We might have included maybe four or five people in getting their requirements. We didn't include everybody, and, and, and we didn't mount a change management effort to get everybody on board, right? And so there's this business IT gap that we've talked about forever, right? And I began to realize that, okay, here we are. Here's the metrics. In 1992, we had 10% of all the knowledge workers in the world using data to make data-driven decisions. We had six yeah. software companies trying out in that space back then. Those are the options they had. Fast forward to 2015, you've got tens of thousands of pieces of software, but only 13% of these users feel on the business side that they're data driven. And I said, there's something wrong here. Uh, you know, uh, what's the issue? And like you said, and what I really, really landed on is that we need to do a much better job of aligning our business strategy with our data analytics strategy. And we need to stop seeing our data analytics um, strategy, if you will, as a bunch of standalone technical projects that seem to be cool using the latest and greatest technology. A lot okay. of times, these, these things can be solved, these business outcomes can be solved 
with technology that may have existed mm -hmm. 10 years ago, and they're happy with that. No, can you let me ask you actually the counter to that one? Is it because, right, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you, right? If you come from a data side of the world, oh, they are not using data to make decisions and all that stuff. But if you, uh, if you come from a, a CXO side with the CEO or whatever, right, who are actually making decisions, the senior leaders, right, why is it that they don't see what we are talking about, hey, you know, they're not making a data enabled decisions. They are not making data driven decisions. Something else is going on, but what would, what would you think? They don't trust the data. They don't trust the people who are analyzing the data. What are you hearing? You know, you're in the CDO role, so you-, you Number one, mm -hmm. number one, um, everyone still to this day is struggling with the same problem they struggled with back in 1992. How come your customer number is different to my customer number? I'm like, oh my God, you know, th th this is the same issue people had back in the early 90s. We haven't solved that, right? And it comes down to, and you know, this is this is good to see is that now there's an increased focus on data management. Um, there's an increased focus on understanding the data supply chain. Um, I don't believe as part of the whole process that anyone should own the data, everybody owns the data. Mm -hmm. But you know, we need to have strength in how it is we go about managing data as an asset. And then bringing confidence to the business um, that they've actually gone to the right source. Um, upskilling the business to be able to learn a new set of vocabulary around data that the term revenue has a very different meaning to the term regional revenue, right? And that a regional head should never refer to their revenue as revenue. They should call it regional revenue. So these types of things, just vocabulary, quality, you know, uh, 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 you know, these types of issues have resulted in, in, in the basic problem of, you know, senior executives going into meetings saying, well, I don't know that our numbers are right. So we haven't solved that basic problem, but I'm encouraged to see that there's an increased focus in trying to solve it, you know, with, with the advent of data catalogs, um, with the advent of better data governance processes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.